And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey folks, welcome into Onto Waveland, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. And I gotta say, right here at the top, well, okay, I won't do what I did last time. I'm Brett Taylor, got Patrick Mooney. It's just the two of us. No, no Sahada this time. He's he's off chilling somewhere. Had some some reason to miss out, but it's fine. I kind of like you know what I'm gonna say this. I kind of like the two man shows sometimes. You know I don't want them every time. I like the input from all of us, but sometimes it's nice to do just like you know like you can, rhythmically we can just do a little bit of that bounce back and forth. Uh, I mean, I some, someone had to say it, Brett. Someone had to say yeah. it. Yeah. And I mean, I wasn't going to say like, it's, it's you and me, but you know. <laughs> but we're here with so Michael. Won't he won't listen yeah, yeah. to this. No. He, he won't hear anything we say. Uh, so, okay. Uh, oh, I know what I was going to say. We we intro the show with Topps Project 70, because uh, it really is cool that Topps has been doing baseball cards for 70 years. And one thing that they do nowadays is they'll sometimes do these Topps Now cards that are like, they, they capture some instant moment and I was thinking that as I was reading that intro, I'm like, man, they got to have a, a card for the beer snake, right? I mean, that's that was the player of the game last night. Um, and I thought, you know, if for folks who didn't see or who don't know what it is, sometimes called a cup snake, it's in the bleachers at Wrigley and in other places. Sometimes the crowd will collectively gather up its empty-ish beer cups to create a snake. And uh, last night during Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, the snake had reached such epic proportions that it was uh, stretching uh, entirely to the bottom of the, um, the the bleachers in the upper part of the bleachers. That was the biggest snake, I believe, uh, all the way up to the scoreboard. Um, good hundred plus feet of snake. And uh, it got maybe, you know, two three minutes of airtime on Sunday night baseball, which I, you know, I think the Cubs have mixed feelings about uh, the, the cup snakes and beer snakes. You think, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I am going to say with apologies to, to those at the Cubs who are not fans. Uh, while I do get that they're not always great. Cause you know, you're dripping beer on people and not everybody wants to participate. There was something about it last night as part of this first weekend back in a fully open Wrigley field on Sunday night baseball during a sweep of the Cardinals in the bleachers. It just something about it just felt right in that moment where it was like, Hey, we're back. We're doing completely stupid shit again and it's great. And let's forget about everything else. And let's just build a giant, uh, a friend of mine calculated how much it probably cost about a $30,000 <laughs> beer snake in the bleachers. Uh, so, you know, I, I was a big fan. I don't know how you felt, Minnie. Well, I had two separate texts. One, I got one last week. Um, a friend was at the White Sox game. I get this text like 10 at night. <laughs> WTF is this cup stacking thing. And I was like, 
I was like, well, it's a snake, first of all. And then I was like, I, I kind of wanted to be clear. And it, obviously, it's a Chicago thing. It's a White Sox thing. It's really hard to explain. And I'm wondering how people across the country were taking it. Um, and I got a bunch of text messages last night, too, from people being like, you know, is, has John Greenberg ordered you to write a thousand words on like <laughs> cup snakes, you know, the history of cup the snakes. Oral history and, of it. And, and it seemed to me, it was like one of those classic things where like, because the Cubs shut it down uh, a couple of years ago and they discouraged it, it obviously generated this new momentum of as soon as you tell someone, a little kid, like, don't do that. Of course they're going to try to do that. So, um, I heard like the, the seven nation army chant, like later in the game, I wasn't watching the game on TV. I heard the chant and it sounded like a European soccer match. And then I thought I saw the outline of a snake. Then I looked up on TV and got all these texts of, you know, the snake is back. Nature is healing. Um, <laughs> another person texted me, was kind of surprised that there weren't 40,000 for a beautiful Sunday night. Cubs Cardinals and I think that'll be an interesting trend to track to see if they do get up to 100% with 100% capacity given uh but yeah just like a beautiful night you know weather wise uh the place was electric and um if you're a Cubs fan it couldn't have really gone much better this weekend yeah a quick comment on on the attendance before we get into the substance of the series which itself opened up I, I just think a a ton of interesting threads for conversation. I looked back out of curiosity to find an analog series in 2019, uh, just to see, you know, what is, is there an early June weekend series against the Cardinals? What does attendance look like? And there was almost, almost week for week, a, a weekend series against the Cardinals in early June in 2019. And it was, it was around 40,000 per game. They weren't sellouts, but they were just right under. And I think that, this series being what average about 36. Um, I think Saturday was close to 40, um, but around 36, I think is reflective. It's almost like that gives us our data on where some of that still um, hesitation is among people. And of course you throw out, throw in the fact that the Cubs tickets are, are always among the most expensive in baseball that, um, it's still, I think, for some people is asking a lot to be like, here, come join 35,000 people in a ballpark and, and pay a good amount to do it. And so I think that probably that's something we will see around baseball this year, even as, and, and I mean, not just baseball, life, as things open back up and as we resume um, what we want to call normalcy, you're still going to see people doing a little bit of toe dipping. And um, I just think that's what's going to be. So again, that too, I think is what made me really stoked about this stupidness of the beer snake thing is it just, it, it felt like, well, this is the kind of thing you do when people aren't, you know, don't have like 10 to 30% of their brain preoccupied with, oh yeah, there's a pandemic going on. So I have to sort of modulate everything I do and think. And obviously the, the, the previous substance in those cups helps with that um, relaxing and, and not caring. But um, yeah, I, I dug that. So yeah, for the series itself, um, we, you know, working backwards, maybe just to comment on anything we want to note, I think you, you have to comment on Zach Davies uh, last night, not only performing very well, good results, second start in a row, uh, really after a, he had a May 
where he was getting good results, but I think we still could have picked all kinds of holes in the performance. Um, and we aren't as familiar with Zach Davies as, as maybe like a Kyle Hendricks where we know, oh, he's getting results, but this still isn't quite working for him or whatever. And I think even not being super familiar with Davies, I, I watched that May where he posted like a two ERA and I still wasn't overly impressed with, with even as like a, a control contact manager type, but these last two outings, the one in San Diego, and then the one last night, it really felt like he was locating North and South really well, uh, keeping hitters off balance, doing the things that you would expect of a pitcher like that. And I thought on the whole, it was actually one of the best pitching performances of any of the Cubs this year. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt he he knows what he's doing out there, and I think ideally he wouldn't be, in essence, kind of like your number two starter at this moment, uh, given Alzale's injury and some of the uh, other surrounding issues with this starting group. But, I mean, I think we said this at the time of the U Darvish trade that, you know, Davies will never be Darvish because Darvish is a unicorn, but he has a really long track record of being a successful, reliable back of the rotation pitcher. And it wasn't unreasonable to think that the Cubs game planning system and uh, an elite defense behind him could really help him have a nice you know, free agent walk year. And, you know, this team up and down, we've had so many surprises in, in terms of guys at the back of the roster stepping up. Um, an offense that has been clicking on cylinders, you know, we hadn't seen for for a while uh, in Wrigley, and just an absolutely lights out bullpen. And the Cubs don't want to push that, you know, too hard or too far you know, this early in the season. But um, I think if you get Davies back on track, you pretty much know what you're going to get from Kyle Hendricks. If Jake Arrieta can be more like the guy we saw his last start at in San Diego. Um, this is a really viable team. Like there's no, they're not like just going to suddenly collapse. Like there are going to be unforeseen things that happen, but this is a really sturdy, well-built team, uh, in, in the middle of June. Yeah. I would say to that point, the, the thing that I keep waiting to happen and it, once again, for these three games, it did not happen is when is there going to be that stretch of a few pumpkin bullpen games you know and it's not a complete reversion because I think a lot of these guys are really really good but I just don't you can't keep covering three to four innings every night and have it be scoreless every night you know it just is <laughs> I'm like envisioning how people are going to react when it happens and I just keep waiting for like Craig Kimbrell to blow a save or Ryan Tapera to not get out of a jam, or Andrew Chafin to, you know, not fall on his duff and have some great play happen behind him. And it just keeps not happening. And, um, I, you know, I hope cosmically they aren't forestalling it for like late in the year when it'll be the most painful uh, regression. But uh, I, I don't know. It just keeps... Uh, I don't know when that's going to, when we're going to go through that period. But once again, here we are talking about another successful series for the Cubs that involved, I think, scoreless. Like every every single inning again was scoreless from the bullpen, right? I think so. It's so hard to remember so. at this point because it's so. like, 
Yeah, because we had, you know, Trevor Miguel had his, uh, he was trying to do the, the um, get back into the groove of things in his appearance on Saturday, loaded the bases, but I don't think a run scored, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, I guess it'll be tested again because this week we know that the rotation is going to be disrupted. Uh, Alec Mills is going to get a start. Uh, they still have to figure out how they're going to fill Albert Alzali's slot. Um and it might be a bullpen day as it stands, but uh, for now, the bullpen just keeps on doing its thing, and it's not one or two guys. It's basically everybody. It's going to be like how Wrigley, there was this pent-up energy after being stuck at home for so long. Like Cubs Twitter is going to feel this cathartic release of being able to complain about the bullpen <laughs> because it's such a natural default setting that be like, ah, finally it happened, and now we can – just rip these guys. Uh, I think it'll be fun. I think you'll enjoy it, Brett. <laughs> I think I'm trying to think it's like, uh, who will you actually, cause here, I mean, I can tell you people want, this is not me, but people want to blow up at Rex brothers. They want to blow up at Dylan Maples. Um, I think Chafin and Tapera have enough goodwill now where they're, they're kind of going to be safe, like multiple ones. The younger guys kind of get some safety. So it's really, I think it's mostly those two. Like they, the people just, because I, people don't like guys who throw a lot of non-competitive balls, which those two do. Um, and so they, I think could go through a 15 game stretch of not allowing any runs. And then if they have one down thing, it's like, ah, that guy, why is he even on the roster? Um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cheat. Cause we're talking about the bullpen a little bit. Um, we have, so we do emails sometimes folks, by the way, this is a little interlude email us. If you've got questions, comments, feedback, whatever, uh, we are at waveland athletic at gmail.com. I'll, I'll mention that again at the end of the pod, but since we were talking about the bullpen, one of the questions that we got uh, ties into this. And I know I have some things that I want to say in relation to this question, but Mooney, um, I'm going to direct this at you. So Ryan asks, what's going on with Rowan Wick? The injury happened at the end of last season. Uh, is he throwing, building up, or not even to that stage yet? Uh, and he says, by the way, that he really loves the athletics writing. So I will take that as a personal shot at me, but I will agree with the sentiment that I too uh, very much like the athletic writing. So anyway, we're talking about the bullpen. Let's interlude for a moment and talk about Rowan Wick. Uh, well, I would say kind of my general philosophy while covering some of this stuff is I get sick of like the breathless updates about guys who are really talented but with all due respect, I believe Rowan Wick hasn't had like a full wire to wire season in the big leagues yet, right? I mean, this is a really talented guy um, who does probably the most like volatile job in baseball. Now, <clears throat> having said that, um, David Ross in San Diego was talking to uh, a small group of us in person off Zoom and was just kind of rattling off names. And, and his thesis was that the Cubs are operating right now at what, like 70%. And he you know, listed all these guys who've been on the injured list and kind of, I'd already forgotten about Rowan Wick. Uh, and he brought him up saying, you know, I, I still have high hopes for Rowan Wick. I think he can help this team. So I know that's not very specific, but he is on the manager's mind. And maybe he had just read like some injury report uh, that afternoon, but, um, David Ross, who has a 
pretty good feel for running and handling a bullpen. Uh, has not written this guy off yet. And I know I kind of downplayed Wick at the beginning just to kind of reset expectations, but there's no doubt he's uh, when he's healthy, when he's been pitching for the Cubs, he's been a really effective, interesting, late-inning, high-leverage guy who would certainly help them if uh, some of that regression we were just talking about happens in the second half of the season. Yeah, and that's so that is a great update, even though there's – I, I don't mean this as a, a shot at you, even though there's like no information in that. Cause that is the, update, yeah, no. right. It's <laughs> the update is, uh, no, no, no. Last we heard what it was several weeks ago that, that he was thrown off the mound, but that there was maybe some slowness in the recovery time the next day. And, um, unfortunately that is the rub with like these, um, side injuries, the soft tissue oblique stuff, uh, that originally he'd suffered last year, late last year. And then it, kind of crept back up in maybe a slightly different way this spring. Um, the sport is so rotational and it requires so much inner and core stability that if that gets off, you can not only struggle to recover from the injury itself, it can leave you not in a position to perform for a long time. But I think that what's so interesting in relation to the conversation we were having about this series and the, and the bullpen that we've had all season with the bullpen and not just the performance of the current bullpen, but with so much depth still behind them that's intriguing at AAA Iowa that we almost never get to talk about. But, I mean, there are literally five to seven guys right now. I mean, maybe the entire Iowa bullpen, for all I know, that you look at that you either know historically, oh, that guy's interesting, or he's performing it away right now. You're like, oh, that's really interesting. Or, oh, you're reading some scouting profiles, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. And it leaves you in a place that to combine with the performance we've already seen from the bullpen, it doesn't make you forget about Rowan Wick, but it does make you feel like you're, you aren't waiting. You know, you aren't like, well, okay, but he's coming back soon. You know, we're, that that's going to help because it's just not like what innings would he even get right now? Right? Like he'd get them. They're, they're still innings to go around, but he's not immediately slotting back into the eighth or seventh inning. Right? I mean, those, those are kind of locked up right now. And so um, I think that has probably afforded the Cubs an ability to be patient on his return. But I also do think it's important to remember that, like Patrick said, um, we didn't have a ton of exposure to Rowan Wick, like over a really long period of time of high level success. It was just that he was kind of at the front end of this period where the Cubs had revamped and had sort of just opened the pitch lab and they they had this new way of helping to try to reframe pitchers and their performances and give them new pitches. And with Wick, it was that that spike grip curveball. And um, so I think he kind of took on a larger than life position in Cubs fans' minds, um, which is not to say he's not potentially great. It's just that I don't know that he was quite as established as people thought. Um, so just one, one, one final thing on that, you kind of alluded to that the Cubs in general are really cautious and conservative in these like rehab ramp up programs. So whatever you're thinking, just kind of like be patient and tack on more time. Cause that just seems to be how they operate with guys, you know, come particularly pitchers coming back from injuries. Well, look at Justin Steele, right? I mean, we know that hamstrings are always longer than you think. But um, 
you know, he's been out now, it's almost a month now. And he, it did not sound like he was close even necessarily to a rehab assignment. And I think that that is also a reflection of how the Cubs handle these things conservatively and the bullpen is loaded. You know, it's, it, you just aren't in a rush. Like we desperately need this guy back. Um, so yeah, that was but good. Good question, Ryan. It was Ryan, right? So we, yeah. Yes. Thank you, Ryan. And thank you again for the compliment to the athletic. I assume you meant athletic writing is really good and athletic podcasting is really good. Uh, <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. So I think uh, fair and appropriate, particularly against the backdrop of a fully reopened Wrigley Field, uh, to which I am going to note, I don't think this is like uh, unfair editorializing to say, I think this is just sort of scientifically correct to say that uh, we're able to do things like that because the pandemic has reached a, reached a stage where the daily case count and the risk of transmission and all of these things are sufficiently low that we feel like as a society in our various municipalities are like, okay, it's, it's safe enough to do this kind of stuff. And a big part of the reason for that obviously is the rollout of a very successful vaccination program from, uh, you know, starting approximately in late December that um, increasingly has reached a good, I don't know, 55 to 60% of adults in the United States are now vaccinated, uh, which of course does mean that there's still a substantial chunk that aren't, that do have access to it. And for one reason or another are not taking it at this point. Uh, I think we talk about this topic both because, uh, you know, we lived in this world for like a year where our jobs were to talk about sports, but we also had to talk about public health in a way that we never were prepared for or never thought we were going to have to um, because it directly impacted what we do and the sports that we enjoy. And it's not that that isn't still true, but obviously you look at a weekend like this at Wrigley Field and it's like, boy, we're really close to being like, okay, we we pontificators and writers and podcasters can just like really focus on the sport because there is increasingly less overlap with what we're supposed to talk about and a pandemic that necessarily impacts all of that. There is still this one lingering thing and it is the vaccination process as it relates to baseball teams that are currently subject to restrictive protocols that are about health and safety and where teams don't reach 85% of their tier one personnel being vaccinated, they are still subject to these things that in theory could leave a team exposed to more onerous contact tracing efforts and shutting down players. If there were a case, um, 
So even if you set aside anything else that you want to discuss about the vaccination process, it is a simple fact that it does impact or it leaves you exposed to a potential impact of the performance of your baseball team. And that's why Jed Hoyer and David Ross have been very clear that they would like as many of their players as possible to be vaccinated. Um, both presumably because um, it, if you're able to get vaccinated, it's a good thing to do so for your own personal health and for to participate in the community suppression of this virus. But then also because there's a competitive disadvantage if you are a team that is at risk for having these protocols uh, shut down a couple key players at a you know key moment of the season. And that would really suck. That would really suck because it would be a totally unforced error. Um, and you, you just don't want to see that for a team that you follow or a team that you love. And so anyway, there there's your backdrop to the reveals uh, of the past few days <clears throat> that uh, Anthony Rizzo conceding that he has not been vaccinated um, he explained it on uh, ESPN 1000 that, you know, it was a, a tough decision. He, he framed it and he, he appreciates the vaccines. He appreciates the impact that it's had on attendance, but that for him, for personal, some personal reasons for after consultation with his doctors, it was something he decided not to do. Similarly, Jason Hayward revealing to the Tribune that he uh, is also not vaccinated. And uh, for him, he did talk about certain side effects and not wanting to experience those at the wrong time during a season. Um, and, you know, here, let me say this uh, before I would, you know, go into my reaction to any of that. I want to say John Greenberg and then you, Patrick, I believe, yeah, it was you. You guys in the last few days have written about this topic in relation to these players, in relation to baseball, in a really strong, thoughtful, useful way. I, you know, I read both of your pieces and I was like, damn, that is about the best way you can show grace to other humans, but also acknowledge that, you know, we saying we're all in this together is not just an expression. It's a literal truth about the science of this virus. And so there is an impact there when people choose not to get vaccinated. So it, I thought you guys just did an excellent job of um, handling that. So kudos. And I would recommend to anyone <clears throat> who struggles with like, how am I supposed to feel about this? Uh, I think your guys' pieces did an excellent, excellent job. Uh, well, thank you. I mean, I, you know, wrote for Monday morning today trying to put context around this and I really tried to separate myself from this and kind of put it in the concepts of like character exposition and some of the internal dynamics here and you know uh, Anthony Rizzo is you know going against the advice of his bosses uh, against the recommendations of the team's expert medical staff, which provides around-the-clock healthcare coverage for every single player. Uh, it's going against accepted industry practices as the Cubs have become this extreme minority, uh, one of, I believe, eight that aren't fully vaccinated yet. And, um, you know, I'm, I've covered this team for a while and, uh, you know, since before Anthony Rizzo came up. And, you know, through a common thread throughout this entire time was uh, this idea of Anthony Rizzo growing into a leader. And he was never this like, you know, 
grab a player by the collar type of leader. Uh, it was more subtle. It was with his sense of humor. It was how he welcomed people in. It was how he became this ambassador off the field. I mean, I literally followed him around Lori's Children's Hospital one day to see what he did uh, regularly without cameras um, and had developed this rapport with the nurses and, you know, kids who were given um, this amazing shot of hope. And last year, Theo Epstein made a point to say that Anthony did a great job with handling the coronavirus, that he was the one in the clubhouse really steering these conversations, defining some of the gray areas for how they would uh, conduct themselves off the field and um, kind of include families. And that to them was a real sign of growth. And, um, you know, that doesn't mean that Anthony Rizzo's contributions to the team, the community completely go away. Of course not. Uh, There is a... clear divide within the clubhouse but it at this point doesn't has not manifested on the field and maybe it never will it's just that the cubs have really painted a target on their back if someone within their traveling party or someone within their close contact circle is exposed or test positive i mean there's going to be clear competitive consequences and a huge public backlash and while I don't think this will be the tipping point in any sort of negotiation between Rizzo and the Cubs, I think it's very curious timing that uh, where everyone on Cubs Twitter came out in Anthony's favor when the Athletic reported the terms of the Cubs' initial extension offer. I'm just not sure how this fits into him selling himself as this kind of unofficial captain of the Cubs. And, and I think he's someone who does have enormous sway. Maybe he doesn't convince everyone in there but I I do think people look up to him and and follow his lead and they're not one or two players away but maybe he could have been kind of a a tipping point uh, in the other direction to get them towards 85% so uh, none of this is said with any sort of like told you so glee or trying to attack him personally it was just kind of surprising uh, him going against the scientific and medical communities that helped him beat cancer, um, and one that he truly, genuinely supports by showing up at Lori's and making million-dollar donations uh, to facilities in South Florida, uh, in Chicago. Um, just someone who really has represented the Cubs in um, the best of times and in the best of ways. To make this decision, uh, I think... It's not really my opinion on it. It's what Jed Hoyer thinks. It's what David Ross thinks. It's what the majority of his teammates think, his coworkers think. Um, I just think there's a lot there, a lot to unpack, and we'll see if the Cubs you know, do escape without this costing them. It's just we're not even halfway through the season yet, and this isn't you know, this pandemic isn't over either as much as we want it to be. I think that's about the size of it. I I, I struggle with, um, you know, I, I feel like my role in the, um, the, my limited role in the Cubs media world that intersects with the Cubs fandom world is often to tell candidly how I feel about um, players in the sport. Now, that's usually 
in a baseball sense, right? I'm reacting to their performance and the things that they've done or to, to trade rumors or contracts or, you know, these things. And I, I am just nakedly struggling with the, that combination of feeling like, well, I want to recognize everybody's humanity. And I, I never want to assume that I can entirely know the circumstances of a person's life that leads them to do the things that they do or don't do. So that's like a blanket acknowledgement while simultaneously noting that uh, it, it is a scientific fact that these in the aggregate, these vaccines are tested, they are safe, they are effective, they are have been a critical component in saving so many lives and changing our day-to-day lives in such a positive way. And, and that doesn't work unless a critical mass of people participate. Um, and then finally, not wanting to, as you said, dismiss or discount the fact that a lot of these players, Rizzo and Hayward included, have done incredible and important and positive things for the community. Um, it, it, you don't have to conclude that these are bad people. Um, I think... It is a little more complicated than saying, you know, oh, it's just a personal choice and everybody's up, you know, can do, choose what they want. Uh, I think that's really facile and doesn't help anybody to do that. And I don't think we help anybody by going that route in, in sports media on any social issue, frankly, or medical science as this uh, turned out. But I think you you do have to try to hold those three things in your mind that you, one, can't know what everybody is dealing with. Uh, you, you might think you can, but you just can't. And then two, um, this is a community issue. It's, it's a public health issue. It's not just a personal choice. And then three, these are, you know, athletes that have gone above and beyond in a lot of other ways to really help people. And I think we're still allowed to be like, that's good and great. And we respect that while also maybe having a, 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 um, a not unreasonable, position that they're making a mistake in other ways. And, um, you know, I guess that's where I leave it. I'm not anywhere firm yet because this is all just, I don't know, none of us, none of us were trained for any of these conversations or none of us prepared for any of this. We just, it's from the beginning of the pandemic. It was just like, Hey, by the way, you know, everybody, and it's not just sports writers and it's, it's any vehicle where you do your job or live your professional life, you were thrust into an entirely different set of circumstances where it's like, okay, you're just expected to incorporate this into what you do. And, um, we've done the best we can, and this is a new layer to it. And, um, you know, we, we try to cover it and respond to it and react to it in the most fair and responsible and useful way. And, uh, we'll just continue to do that. But for now, um, the, it's it's I think everyone would agree that it's fair at least to remark upon the baseball implications that hopefully the Cubs can avoid any positive cases that would lead to a shutdown. And um, they have some of the players have invited, I think, a little bit more risk on that front, which is why most teams haven't done it and why the Cubs front office and the coaching staff want these vaccinations to take place. Uh, I think Patrick's right that there's if it were to happen it's going to be a total shitstorm, um, and that's going that would suck for a lot of reasons. So I hope for everybody's health that that doesn't happen, and I hope for, frankly, honestly, candidly, I hope for my own sanity that that doesn't happen because I really don't want to have to cover that. Um, but that's where we'll leave it. 
Um, and anyway, so transitioning uh, from one deeply controversial topic to one that I think is maybe it's controversial, but it's a hell of a lot lighter than, um, you know, death and vaccinations and such. And it's, it's the, you know, sticky, the sticky stuff. It's the sticky stuff in baseball. And we have a question to our email, uh, that, uh, that's wavelandathletic at gmail.com. If you want to send us questions and, uh, we got one here from Kyle who's in Northeast Iowa. And he says, hey, guys, love the pod. What do you think the overall impact on the Cubs will be with MLB crackdown on the use of foreign substances by pitchers? Um, and he goes on to you know, go with some of the potential issues there. And I'll, I'll tee it up for you first, Patrick, but I'll, I'll carve it out for you that it, the, at a national level, the athletic and other outlets too, but, but certainly the athletic has been doing a fantastic job covering what MLB is going to do. And because this isn't, it's a, it's an issue that's so pervasive that it touches every team. And, and I'm certainly going to want to dig into what's happening with the Cubs. Uh, but right now, until the implementation is in place, um, we're still really early, I think on, t- on knowing with certainty what the implications are going to be for any particular team, Cubs included. Yeah, I mean, how do we draw conclusions off these guys we barely heard of before and they've had, what, like a dozen innings in the big leagues and this is kind of uh, a real-time process of uh, at the league le- level of making adjustments and organizing um, kind of a new code or, or set of enforcements and I would say it's too early to tell. Um, it would be, I don't know if it's quite suspicious yet, because like you're saying, Brett, this is an all 30 club, um, kind of can of worms or Pandora's box, whatever you want to call it. And the Cubs have, I believe you alluded to it earlier, uh, with Rowan Wick's emergence that the Cubs have made, uh, a series of structural changes over the years that are beginning to uh, pay dividends at the major league level. And, you know, this, even before this competitive window, going back to the beginning of the Dale Swam days, the Cubs have been good at kind of outperforming expectations in in terms of their pitching staff. So I think there's a a tradition uh, there that the Cubs can point to to explain um, some of this. But I, I do think it'll be fascinating to see where this goes because if we have the substance issues as well as these potential rule changes that Theo Epstein is spearheading at the major league level, like it does make you wonder if the Cubs have figured something out and the rules of engagement are going to completely change coming out of the next uh, labor deal, assuming they, they get one done this, uh, this off season. Yeah, I mean that's the other level at which it's it's a little hard to bring it back to any one team because you don't know at an institutional level what processes have been in place to support players. And I don't mean I'm not trying to say something as simplistic as like oh the Cubs figured out a great way to supply spider tack to their pitchers and you know and secret it to them during games. But I mean like there may be some really foundational stuff that has um, you know, a, a lot to do with how a pitcher trains 
that will be wholly unimpacted by a change in, in grip substance stuff. Like, so like maybe they would be set up to be disproportionately to disproportionately benefit from this change. It's just really hard to say. I think for now we're going to be in this period of time and people have already started doing it on Twitter, myself included, where we're going to see some data changes and we've already seen it. You know, ever since this was announced a couple weeks ago, it's very clear that a lot of pitchers have started to experiment with um, using, I'm guessing, using different substances because their spin rates have dropped so precipitously that we know that uh, as far as any of the people who've studied this data and have have tried to quantify this grip substance stuff would tell you, you're not going to see drops of, of 200 plus RPMs on pitches or increases of 200 plus RPMs without some fundamental change in the um, friction uh, on the ball, which is, is basically, as far as we know, substances are the only way to do that. Um, and so... I think it is, to me, from my perspective, I think it's very useful to observe those changes, to study the data and note like, oh, this guy's spin rate just dropped to 300 RPMs. Um, and now let's evaluate. Now let's see where that goes. Um, I'm I'm shying away. I didn't think I would do this, but I, I now that we get here, I'm sort of shying away from like the fisking of individuals. Like, you know, I don't know. I've seen lots of tweets out there where it's like, oh, this guy's way down. And... I think it's less valuable to be like, ooh, I knew it. You are so busted. You are a villain. Um, I think it's less useful, one, because we now know culturally it's a lot like the steroid era. It's like there are some some guys that probably didn't want to do it and they just see what's happening around them, everyone else getting this unfair advantage. And also even worse than the steroid era, these rules were sort of gray. It's like, what's allowed? What's not? What counts as applying it to the baseball? What counts as, no, I'm just trying to get grip. I'm just trying to control. So I don't know. I, I see the numbers and I'm sharing the numbers and I'm, I'm a little peeved because people will put it on me like I'm ripping a guy who's like whose spin rates have dropped rapidly and it's like no i'm just i'm just studying the data i'm just i want it out there so that we can discuss it and be like okay how's this guy's performance going to change um so that's where i am and that's where i am going to like to follow this in the coming weeks and that includes cubs pitchers um and uh, but for the guys who i do see big drops frankly there's a little part of me that's like i kind of respect that as much as the guys who never used illegal grip substances because at least now that it's become very clear that that's a no-no they're trying to change they're trying to adjust and they're trying to survive now in a different setup and i i mean i don't know i, I don't love if you were doing it before but i kind of respect that you're doing it right like immediately trying to make a change i did it's too late now like this would have been a great idea um like to, if i don't know when the first like largely public chatter about spider tack got around I should have ordered one so that I could have used it in everyday life and just seen like, here's how it affects. Like, here's what my typing is like. Here's what holding the, holding the microphone is like. That, that would have been a funny bit. And I haven't seen anybody do that yet, but I know that somebody will. Um, and, it, and I Because you just handed it to them. Well, I did. I know. Yeah. But I figured it was going to be too long to like order it. You know, I, I thought of this a few days ago, but I was like, oh, it's probably going to take forever to get some of that shipped now because... Um, you know, they've got to have been this. I think it's like this little company, SpiderTac, that was just making this substance so that strong men could hold those giant boulders. And um, 
now they probably are overwhelmed with people trying to buy up the supplies before they, they can't get them. It's like uh, trying to get a PS5. So anyway, that's where I am on this. I think it's, I do think it's super important. I do think it's going to have a really significant impact. Um, but I think the fruits of that impact will be hard to dissect and understand, let alone to like moralize about or do any of that kind of next level stuff for a very long time. I think we kind of need to get through almost through the rest of this season, really even to start to appreciate um, who it's going to impact. And this includes hitters too, right? Because it's going to be a very fundamentally different game for them. But we know all we know is these tactile substances can affect raw spin rate. That alone doesn't make you a better pitcher. You know, it's, it is a lot, it's a lot like steroids where it's like, you know, just juicing up alone is not going to make you better. It's how you use it to affect your game. And with like spin rate, it's, well, how efficient is your spin? You know, one guy who's throwing a 2,700 RPM fastball, it might be a lot less effective than a guy who's throwing a 2,300 mile or 2,300 uh, RPM fastball because he's maximized his efficiency. So there's going to be a ton of adjustment on that front, you know, and, and who can figure out the best legal grip substance you know who can figure out the best way to use rosin and sunscreen to to maximize this stuff it's i think we're just opening a new door to figuring out performance and so love the question um and i think it's wholly appropriate kyle to be asking it now but you know we just we just spent 10 minutes punting on your question you know we'll get into it eventually but we're just not there yet and if you have a question like that that you want to hear us talk about and ultimately not answer, you can send an email to wavelandathletic at gmail.com and we'll get into it. So that's all we got for you today. Uh, the Cubs now head to New York for a series against the Mets. Brutal pitching matchups because not I would never root for an injury, but you know when Jacob deGrom left his last start with a bit of uh, flexor owie, I was kind of like, you know, he should probably sit for a week. Just like take a week off, buddy. You're doing great stuff. Just take a week. He's not going to apparently. So the Cubs will get to uh, get to face him. And if they can score like two runs, man, I'm going to do a champagne dump uh, on my head if I, if, if they score two runs. So um, thank you for listening. This is on to Waveland. I am Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That is Patrick Mooney. Get his stuff at The Athletic. As always, you can listen to us on The Athletic app or wherever you get your podcasts. We thank you so much for listening. Take care. Have a great week. And we'll be back at you on Thursday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.